Well, good morning. I'm glad that we can be together again. It's fantastic that we have the technology we have. And I did want to also just acknowledge there are a lot of, of people behind the scenes that you're in love, you, you may never see. You probably know some of the names, but these people are working very diligently to put together these broadcasts, to put together live streaming. And so we're very thankful for them, are we not? And we say a shout out to our technology teams. You're doing a fantastic job. Now, this morning, we're going to look at leaving at a certain time, and it's in Jacob's life. These messages have been so timely for me personally, and I appreciate the fact that you are praying for me, you're praying for our leaders, you're praying for our church. If that's one thing that we can do, I know, I know that I know that we're going to be just fine if we can give ourselves to praying. And so I'm asking you again, please continue in prayer for the process of us opening up again. And as you know, and I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. As you know, there are a lot of, we're in a season now of when are we going to reopen and when's that going to happen. And so we are seeking God diligently about that. And I want to tie that into the message this morning. So as we look at Genesis chapter 31, leaving at a certain time, let me read a few verses. I'll pray and then we'll ask the, and I'll pray asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us because every time, listen, love it, every time we open God's word, God is speaking, live and powerful. And so we're asking the Lord. So here we are, Genesis chapter 31 this morning. But I want to back up one verse in chapter 30, verse 43. It says there, thus the man, we looked at this last week, Jacob became exceedingly prosperous, even under the very difficult circumstances with his uncle Laban. And he had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donks. He became extremely wealthy in the last six years. Now, verse 1, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. So they're still looking. This is not his. This is our father's that he's taken, which isn't true. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. I find that fascinating. As before, Laban was not a nice guy. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. May, Lord, may you take these things that we're going to look at in your word this morning. Bless and break them, the things I've prepared. Feed us. We are hungry. Lord, we need to hear from you. We're longing to hear from you. We're thirsty. We're hungry. So feed us, I pray, the things I prepare. Bless this time in the word now. In Jesus' name, amen. So with God, there is no uncertainty. So how is that for our uncertainties? It's fantastic that God does not change. He's going to be faithful to his promises, his prophecies, and the plans that he has for your life and for my life to work them out as we work in partnership with him in working out our salvation. So our faith in God gives us this fantastic relationship where we can embrace, even enjoy uncertainty. And we're certainly in a time of great uncertainty. Why? Because God is with us. Now, this decision that Jacob's making for his family, it's a family decision, as we'll see. It's no small decision. In fact, it's been years in the making, at least six years, because he was going to leave six years ago, and Laban talked him into staying, which I think was an important decision. So this decision puts Jacob's faith to the test. 
It puts his family's faith to the test. It puts their future to the test, and our faith will be tested. So a few thoughts, and this is not in any specific order, but just a few things that came to mind as I was thinking about this, I, this whole, uh, you know, the uncertainty of things that we're doing and needing to make decisions and meeting, needing to make moves in this whole area of making decisions and many times life-changing decisions. A few thoughts. Your, your life will change whenever you make a new decision. Big decisions can be difficult, even agonizing in the process. And I'm finding that with what we're going through with this, cope, uh, this uh, ordeal we're in. But listen, even a seemingly small decision can change your life forever. Our mortality makes our decisions meaningful because they're important. We realize we have a certain amount of time. But when the eternal God is our refuge and strength. He makes our every decision hopeful. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Know that. Hold that close to your heart. God is with you. He is with me. We will naturally many times overanalyze and overthink a decision. I can do that very easily. Making a decision forces us to get off the fence of indecision. Making a decision answers the question that Elijah asked the prophets of Israel. How long will you falter between two opinions? In other words, what are you going to do? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the Baals? Making a decision gives vision to see. It gives a direction to follow and a destination to aim for. That's decisions. John Maxwell put it this way, life is a matter of choice, and every choice makes you. I love that quote. It makes you. It's what you're doing in making decisions that change the course of your life. But decisions will be tested, as we'll see this morning. So we are, there's some we're going to be thankful that we made. Others we're going to regret, and we all have them. Some will happy us, I call it, and some will haunt us. <laughs> Some will just nag us, but dear believer, listen closely. God is with us. He can take and make all things work together for good. He can take our decisions, whether good or bad, and begin to direct them and weave them into the tapestry of our life to bring glory to him. Now, also, repentance is never regretted when walking with God. We cannot change a decision we made in the past. However, we can make a decision in the present to turn from bad decisions. We can turn in obedience to God in the present, any moment, any minute, any hour, any day. Now, that must begin in turning in repentance and receiving Christ as your Savior. Become, coming into a living relationship with the eternal God requires repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision? That's the most important decision you'll ever make in your whole life because it's the decision between life and death, heaven and hell. Have you made that decision? I trust and hope that the Holy Spirit in speaking to you, that you and you don't know him, but the word of God and these truths, that the Holy Spirit, not me, it's the Holy Spirit of God who's tapping on your heart and saying, God so loves you 
that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for you, to save you from sin, to save you from death, and to save you from hell. I hope you'll make that decision today. So uncertainty, this faith, leaving at a certain time. Three things I want to look at. Number one, it's time to make the decision. Secondly, it's time to make the move. And third, it's time to make the break. That's this chapter outline. Now, the first one, it's time to make the decision. Number one, circumstances change. In this case, the countenance changed. And Jacob realized this is not a good place to be right now. These, his sons now are angry at me. They're blaming me. They're, they're going to do something. So Jacob looks at what's happening and realizes circumstances have changed. Countenances have changed. And so it's time to go. Jacob had this desire to leave six years ago, but at that time, the decision he made was to stay, and in six years, God greatly, prop, uh, um, what's the word I want, um, prospered him. There you go. Now, Laban and his sons did not like what they're seeing. And so look at, at verse 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Secondly... A command comes. A command comes. So in this, make the decision. First of all, circumstances change. And a command comes from the Lord. So what we want to do is when God says go, we're going to go. When God says stay, we're going to stay. So here, Jacob gets this go from the Lord. Look at verse 3. He says there, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers. Now look at verse 13 of chapter 31. I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me, now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So again, God is speaking. There's a go from God. The word of the Lord to Jacob's heart, the reminder of the vow he made and how he gave his life to, to, over to God to continue to work in it. And I remember a time in my life, it was a retreat, a men's retreat, some 30-plus years ago, where I made my own personal vow, if you will, to God. And in response to his word that I had heard at the retreat, I told the Lord, I said, I will go through any door. I'll take any opportunity that you give me, no matter how scared I am, no matter how insecure I feel, no matter how inadequate I feel. And there was a lot of that. And that moment with God, there at taking communion by myself at a men's retreat, that moment with God was a life changer. It was a direction changer. And I heard and I treasured that still, small voice that whispered into my heart. It's like Elijah. He's one time prominently, boldly saying, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? And then he's running for his life. And he finds there in the cave this still, small voice. And he heard that still, small, and in hearing God's voice, it restored peace to the shakings that were going around him. And friends, brothers and sisters, we need to hear the voice, the still small voice of God speaking to us. And a command comes. And then finally in this counseling confirms, counsel confirms these things. Verses 4 through 16. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. Love it. And you know that, not, that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. 
If I said thus, the speckle shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streak shall be your wages, then all the flocks had bore streak. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. He's talking to Rachel and Leah. Jacob asks his wives. That's a good thing to do. Family decision here. Rachel and Leah's relationship with her father was all but done because of how he had treated not only Jacob, but them. We'll look at that in a moment. But I want to note something in this passage, this chapter, how God-centric this decision, the move, and the break is. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, verse 5, but the God of my father has been with me. Verse 7, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Verse 9, so God has taken away the livestock of your father. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord spoke to me. Verse 13, I am the God of Bethel. Verse 16, all these rituals God has taken away from our father. Verse 16, now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. That's good counsel. That's Rachel and Leah to Jacob. Verse 24, but God had come to Laban in a dream. This is God to Laban. But God of your father spoke to me last night. This is Laban telling Jacob. Verse 24, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, had been with me. Verse 42, unless the God of my father had been with me. Verse 49, may the Lord watch between you and me while we're absent. Verse 50, see, God is witness between you and me. Verse 53, the God of Abraham judge between us. Now, this is in contrast. Listen, when we're talking about the council confirms, is God speaking these things? Are we receiving the wisdom of God that we need? And it's, this is in contrast. This is a sad thing. But in contrast to Laban's gods who were stolen and he couldn't find them. Now, imagine serving a God that's been able to be stolen and you can't find him. That's never the case with the living God in the relationship with him. This would be comical as far as Laban, were it not so really sad. And so Psalm 115 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And then the psalmist goes on. I won't read the whole thing. But he goes on to say, they have mouths, but they do not speak. In other words, they're dumb. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They're blind. And he, he, go to the next slide, please. Oh, no, verse 8, those who make them, come back, those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. So when we begin turning from God to these other things that we look for for hope, we become dumb, we become blind, we become speechless, we become paralyzed, we can't walk. That's what happens. We need the living God to breathe into our decisions his word, his presence, and his counsel. And, when, and, and in that council, in fact, it's interesting, in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, three times, it says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. One, people find safety. Two, plans are established. And third, problems find strategies. That's what Proverbs tells us. So we need the counsel that confirms the things that we're thinking. And are you seeking that counsel? Now look at verse 10. And it happened at that time. When the flocks can see that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, he's speaking to, again, Rachel and Leah. The rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, I said, here I am. So he's telling Rachel and Leah, God spoke to me. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. These are his daughters. 
For all these riches which God has taken from our Father are really ours and our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Great counsel again. His wives are saying, look, this is what, this, we see what's happened. We know our dad. In fact, Laban's own daughters confirm his character. And so they're saying they're confirming counsel to their husband. It's time to do it. Laban had no relationship with his daughters. He had, he had, they were estranged from him. Listen, the home is a very revealing place. Many things that go on in the home are, 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 in a sense, secret outside the home. But God works in the home. And here it's a tragic thing of what's happened between Laban and his daughters and now his son-in-law, who had prospered him tremendously. So the home is a revealing place. And so when these things are happening, when decisions are coming along, many times it's a heartache when things at home have deteriorated. Psalm 27 says this, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And we need to take heart in that also. There are things that happen. There are decisions that are made. There are relationships that deteriorate. But when, it says there, when my father and mother forsake me, Rachel and Leah, then the Lord will take care of me. And he will. He always does. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you can be also. Get bank on that. Verse uh, so the second one thing I want to look at is it's time to make the move. Time to make the move. And three things. The first one is determine, listen, determine to trust God. Determine to trust God. Determine in your heart that you are going to trust God. Do it intentionally. Do it consciously. Do it verbally. I'm going to trust God. And I will say to you that this whole uh, epidemic that we're going through has done such a work in my heart. I can trust God. I, it's almost like when you have no other recourse, you learn and realize, I can trust God. And so when it's time to make the move, it's essential that you determine, that I determine to trust God. It may not be easy, but God says, go for it. Go. And so as we yield to God, the Holy Spirit of God puts a check on the emotional back and forth of the potential of double-mindedness. The Holy Spirit comforts and guides and directs us. And if for some reason, now Jacob six years ago wanted to, wanted to leave but didn't. If for some reason we decide, no, that's not the direction, we have to make the decision so God can direct our direction. So in making a decision, it might reorient us, redirect us. I think of Paul in Acts, how he tried to go into Bithynia. The Holy Spirit uh, did not let him do that. He sought to go then into another place, and it says the Spirit did not permit him. See, this whole thing of, of, of determining and discerning is a mysterious one. It's personal. And so somehow, we're not told how, but when they had gone through Galatia and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, forbidden by the Holy Spirit, then they have a vision. You go, oh, that's where the Holy Spirit's calling us. Naomi did everything that she could to convince Ruth not to go with her back to Bethlehem. Ruth would not be dissuaded. You know the story. Barnabas determined to take John Mark on the second missionary journey, and Paul would have nothing to do with it. So this Paul-Barnabas relationship suffered a severe fracture, if you will, where Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took Silas, and they went their own ways for, for many years. God took that and multiplied out his work because of it. 
The brothers then tried to stop Paul from going to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to be chained and imprisoned. Paul would have nothing to do with it. So there's these determining things that we go through, determining to trust God, that are going to be tested. But we realize that this whole discerning and determining is a mysterious one that's personal between me and God and counsel. Secondly, determine the best timing. Determine the best timing. Notice verse 9. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he knew his father-in-law. He knew he was a no-good Laban. He's gonna, if, if, if he doesn't get out now and put some, t- some space between him, this is not cowardly. This is wise. And that's how he made this decision. That's how he went on to make the move. And so verse 21, so he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward, set his face toward the mountains of Gilead. Jesus knew there's no, I mean, Jesus. Jacob knew there's no looking back. Here it is. I'm going. He makes the decision. It's time to make the move. And so, determined not only to trust God, determine the best time, but then determined to be tested. In other words, decisions like this and others that we make are going to be tested. That's what happens. So Laban now pursues Jacob. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. He's not pursuing him to say, oh, man, I just wanted to say goodbye. He's pursuing him to take over it and and get rid of him and take back his daughters and flocks. But God had come to Laban. This is fascinating to me, this ungodly heathen man. God came to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night. In other words, God has our backs. God will intervene as needed. And said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. He's not stopping him from going. He's saying, you be careful what you even say to him. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. So God intervenes. Laban overtook him, but he didn't overcome him. I love it. God overcame, and he intervened there. God is personally involved in the decisions that we make. When we go to make a move, when we determine it's going to be tested, we're going to look to God. We're going to trust God. We know that he's got our backs. So Laban said to Jacob, verse 26, what have you done? Now, there are questions that begin to can arise. What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carry away my daughters like captives toward, taken with the sword, which wasn't true either? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with temple and harp. There's no way. That's not what he would have done at all. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. Actually, he had done very wisely because of the kind of man that Laban was. It is, my, it is in my power to do harm. See, here it is. But the God of your father. Wow. The God of your father spoke to me last night. Not two nights ago, but last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Really, that's more on his mind than any kind of relationship. There will be those challenging voices that come along. They might be condemning voices, they might be questioning voices. What have you done? Why did you do this? And now you've done that. That's going to happen. And our decisions and our, deci- our decision to move will be tested. Your decision will be challenged. You cannot control what other people's 
are saying and thinking about you, but if you can stay focused on what God has said about himself to you. That's the key. Not what God, what he has said about himself to me, his son, to you, his son, his daughter. Making a move is a big deal. Lots of emotions, lots of unknowns, but the anchor, the anchor of our faith is Jesus Christ. He is the one who tethers us, if you will, into this, to God himself who will take care of us. He is the one who is present ahead of us, behind us, and around us. God is with us. He never changes, so that will never change. I think of Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. Oh, Lord, you search me, know me, know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend what my path and my lying down and acquainted with all my ways. He says, there's nowhere I can go. You've heard me behind me before, laid your hand upon me. And so on goes that psalm. Tremendous. You see, God is with us. He's behind us. He's before us. And he's all around. He's intricately involved in the decisions we make. And when I decide to make the move, know this. It will be tested. But God is testing our faith to bring us into a deeper relationship with him. The third thing I want to look at in this passage is it's time to make the break. Now, first one, have nothing to hide. Have nothing to hide when you do make the break. Genesis 31, 31, then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. For I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. Now, I don't believe that Jacob is saying this sort of sheepishly. I think he's saying this bluntly. He's saying, here's why. I was afraid, yes, but I know that you would have taken your daughters from me. So he's gracious in how he says it, but I believe it's blunt. And then notice this. He was blinded. Interesting. With whomever you find your gods, do not let, them, not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Jacob actually is blinded to what's happened in his home and what he actually was going along there. But so was Laban. Notice. Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went where out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And he said to her, Father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find. So here, right there, in, in a sense, in plain sight, Rachel's sitting on them. And Laban, God blinded Laban. Now, later on, I believe God deals with this whole thing. But Jacob was not only blunt, he was blinded, but here we have it. Jacob rebuked Laban. Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you've searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us. In other words, listen. When we're making the break, we have nothing to hide. We're, we're, we're transparent in making the break. Secondly, owe nothing to anyone. Nothing to anyone. No strings that somebody can pull on. Notice verse 38. These 20 years, Jacob to Laban, I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. They're young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring you. But I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day of the drought, 
In the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sheep departed from my eyes. So Jacob is really saying something. Though Laban had treated Jacob so harshly, Jacob fulfilled all of his commitments. And he did it under harsh circumstances. He kept his word, though it meant personal loss. He kept his word, though though Laban was requiring of him something that was not normally required. You see, it's not according to the law of the land that the shepherd was to bear the loss. But Laban said, you're going to bear it. If many of my sheep are gone, you're going to pay. Verse 41. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So Jacob is now rebuking Laban. He's at that place. He's making the break. He's putting it like it is. He's calling it for what it is. He kept his word. He kept it and had no, even though it meant a lot of trouble for him, he kept his word. And that's the question. In order to really make the break and and making a decision, life change, we have to have nothing to hide. We've come clean. God kept Jacob. In fact, God prospered Jacob. Without God, Jacob would have been stripped of everything. But with God, God deals and prospers him. And now he's leading him out. So number one, have nothing to hide. Make the break. Owe nothing to anyone. And finally, Want nothing from anyone. Notice now, this ending few verses. Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. Now, we talked about this last week. Laban said, they're mine, they're mine, the flocks are mine. Jacob said, no, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this? Oh, this is, excuse me, this is Laban speaking to Jacob. What can I do this day to these my daughters and their children whom they have born? So, Jacob, again, Laban saying, these are mine, but what can I do? Because <laughs> your God told me, be careful. And so he has enough fear of God, Laban. And I believe because of Jacob, he has enough fear of God that he's not going to do what he wants to do. And so last week, the whole, the whole thing of Jacob being his, Laban is now the scoundrel coming out in full view. God intervened, and so Jacob was spared. His flocks were spared. God sent him away, prospering. He sends Laban back, having obtained nothing more. Verse 44, now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Now Laban is the one initiating this covenant, this to separate. It's very possible that this is Laban's final attempt to stay in control of everything, to stay in control at the expense of his daughters, to stay in control at the expense of his son-in-law, to stay at to, to stay in control at the expense of his prosperity because of his selfishness. This is what pride will bring a person to. That's why it's so critical that we have, an, we have a gauge of where we're at in our pride and we're willing to humble ourselves and realize there's things that God's doing. There's things that God's spoken. There's things that are happening that I must acknowledge God is the one in control. God is the one who will prosper me. God is the one who will be with me. God is the one who will lead and direct me if I will keep myself in a place of walking humbly with him. Laban is forced to acquiesce, though he doesn't want to. He'll not admit the truth, though God's telling him, don't you do this. 
And now he's powerless to do anything about it. That's the intervention of God. That's the grace of God. He wants nothing except to be able, late Jacob, he wants nothing but to be able to move on in his relationship with God. Get just everything else he sets aside. He wanted nothing from anyone. He just wants to move on his relationship with God. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar, verse 46. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they, took the, and they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. <laughs> I love that. Laban called it Jagar Shadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, which means watchtower. Because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take otherwise besides my daughters. Again, he does, he, it's obvious he doesn't even care about these things. But now he's sort of trying to say, if you do this, coming after you, although no man is with, you, with us. See, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap. Here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place seven times between you and me. Make the break. In making the break, have nothing to hide, have nothing, owe nothing to anyone, and want nothing from anyone. And that's what's going on here. Separation. It's to assure peace, to assure protection, and, to, and to, again, for them to, particularly Jacob, to go in pursuing his relationship with God. This is a covenant of witness five times. It's a covenant of watching. It's a covenant to judge. So verse 49 is called the Mizpah. The Lord, it says there in verse 49, let me read it again, verse 49. It says, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. Now, this is interesting because when I grew up in a Baptist church, this would be the benediction at many times. May the Lord watch between you and me while we're absent one from another. And we think, whoa, that's cool. The Lord's going to watch us and bring us back together. But that's not what's being said here. In this commentary, John Walton wrote this, quote, It is not unusual today to hear the, this intoned by a minister as the benediction to the congregation at the end of a service or even to find it inscribed on wedding rings. The Lord watch between you and me while we're absent one from another. In using it this way, we show our misunderstanding of the words. Here in Genesis, they express suspicion. Laban does not trust Jacob. Jacob does not trust Laban. They both agree that they will have no means to keep an eye on one another and prevent mischief-making, so they commend one another. Now, no, this is Laban actually initiating this and Jacob signing up. And commend one another to, to the watchful eye of God. A hold you accountable. May God see it and watch it. Make sure it doesn't happen. It is hardly the sentiment that one would want on a wedding ring. <laughs> Agreed. And although a minister may feel that way about a congregation, <laughs> he writes, it's not, it's not a, in good taste to express it so unequivocally. In other words, that's not what they're saying here. They're saying, you better behave yourself because this heap, don't you come past it. I won't go past it. And if we do, may God deal with us. So I don't trust you. 
If you cross that line, I may have to do something drastic. Laban and Laban to Jacob. So we've seen God doing this work in Jacob through Laban, actually. And next week, we're going to look at God reuniting Jacob and Esau. So God's not done in Jacob's life. We're going to look at facing our fears with faith. That's next week in chapter 32. God does a deep work of separating Jacob now from his past, if you will, from these things that he was so entangled in, all the afflictions. He separates him now, and Jacob just wants to pursue God. And we're going to see what happens because he has to face his past. He has to look at what's going on in his past. And so face-to-face with our fears next week, may God help us in times of decision-making. When we're having to make decisions, may he help us to make the decision. May he help us to make the move. May he help us to make the break. Now, just for a couple of minutes, I want to tie this in because this is where this has been so applicable in many ways. I hope that you've been able to read the email that we sent out this week concerning our next steps in reopening up. But as I look at this this particular chapter, in other words, make the decision. What are we going to do? We need to make the decision. And in so doing, circumstances have changed and are changing. What is God saying to us? And what is the counsel that confirms that? And I would put one word, prayer. And that's one of the pillars that's helped me from almost the beginning. Prayer, patience, and not political. So in prayer, we're seeking God. What is he saying to us? We're seeking God. What is the counsel? We've had a lot of collaborative meetings with many people. And we'll get, I'll get into that more next week. Secondly, patience. In other words, make the move because at God's timing. And we need patience. So I'm gonna, we're determined to trust God. We're determined to look at the best timing for what we do. And we're, we know it will be tested. So I'm going to ask you, as, as our fellowship here, our family here, would you please stay in prayer diligently, asking God to show us and to direct us in what he wants us to be doing. How is he directing us as Calvary Chapel South, not Calvary Chapel Bellingham, not Calvary Chapel Mount Si, not any other, but Calvary Chapel South. We are one family, and I'm praying myself, and I'm asking you to continue to pray for unity, and for grace and for patience that we might work to this thing together. There are so many different uh, feelings about it, so many different convictions about it, so many, some, some there's fears, for some there's frustration, and we know all that. That's just a part. Of it. But we are seeking to make this decision, to move according to God's timing in us. That's the patience. And then we, it's apolitical, apolitical. We're not trying to make it a political statement, but let me say this. In making these decisions as God's people, as God's ambassadors, as God's disciples, as God's witness, we're, we're in a sense making the break in that sense, but our decision is based on our ambassadorship into the world, our calling to go into all the world and make disciples. So it's not a political movement on our part. It's a spiritual desire we have to be as witnesses into these other places, into the political arena. So we have nothing to hide in what we're doing. We ought to know, oh, and, oh, no on anything. And we're not wanting to get something. We just want to follow God. So would you be please praying for us? You, you have that email. We'll send another one out this week just to continue to work toward the plans that God's put on our hearts. And we believe they've come from God. We believe there's been a peace given to us that this is our next step as the church 
of, of Calvary Chapel South. And we appreciate it so much. We long, we realize just how much we desire to make these things where we can be back together again. Back together. As God has determined it, as God has, has uh, um, created the body of Christ to be together, that we might minister to one another. I heard last week in the, in the barbecue, one of the cars, there's, there's my brother David Lopez, who we, we prayed for. And I saw him in the car there, and I wept with him. Him and Tori and their little son Daniel. There are so many things out there that ought to just continue to strike in our hearts. The love of God that's demonstrated when we come together, can minister to one another, and can see God working in, the, in our interactions. And so right now that's hindered somewhat, but we believe God has a plan of his own for us particularly. So I could go on. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you again for your loving, merciful, gracious love toward us, that you love us, Lord, that we are your children and called your children, have the right to be called your children. And Lord, in these difficult times, I thank you so much for those, my family, my church family here that are praying. I thank you, Lord, so much for the desire we have to hear from you and patiently work and move forward together in unity. And I've heard that and seen that. I thank you, Lord, so much that we are to be an embassy in this world, that we're ambassadors of the gospel, that we have a little heaven, no matter whether we're separate, we are the church. And you've placed us here as your body, as your ambassadors, as your witnesses. And Lord, our greatest desire is to live out our faith in such a way that the world looks and says, I need to know a little more about that. So please, Lord, take this word today. Bless it to our hearts. Take these things that we're working through right now and bless them as only you can in leading us, in making a decision, in leading us, Lord, as we take the time to make the moves that you've called us to, and, Lord, working in us as we find that we are indeed a light and salt to the world. And I ask these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.